checking my weather on my phone. <laughs> Seriously. This thing is disruptive. This is disruptive, right? And um, it's not disruptive in like a cranky old person way, all right? That's not what I'm talking about, like, get off your phones. No. It's disruptive because it has changed the way we view humanity. It has changed our worldview. It's changed the way we operate. That's why this thing is disruptive. Um, did you know, by the way, that this phone uh, has more technology in it than most of our space shuttles throughout, the, throughout history? Did you all know that? Now you did, and church is over. You can go home now. Like, fun fact, we learned it. Um, no, this, this has changed everything. It's changed the way we do commerce. Um, no joke, I don't have to go to Target on a Sunday anymore. I'm not even kidding. Last week, I bought two kitchen strainers on my phone. Like, you can do that. You can choose to opt out of having to, like, go through the process of finding parking or taking the subway or whatever else it might, it might be. Um, one of my favorite columnists wrote this beautiful, like, beautiful moving obituary of, of somebody who was his mentor, and then the next day after I read it, I found out that he typed it out on his phone at a restaurant while he was waiting for a table with his wife. Like, that is what our phone has allowed us to do. That's the kind of capability that we now have. It is a disruption because it has changed us. It's changed our framework. It's changed our worldview. It changes the way we move. In fact, like, we use emojis now than we use regular words, right? Like, we're creating a new language, and a sad language at that, like, on our phones, right? This is what's happening. It's a disruption. Um, other things are disruptions. Events are disruptions, depending on when you were alive. The assassination of JFK, uh, tearing down of the Berlin Wall, 9-11, disruptions, changing the way that we view our, and, and do life. Um, people are disruptions, right? depending on uh, who has crossed your path. So take a second while I shift my notes and think about what it is that's been a disruption in your life. What has changed your framework? What has changed your mindset? What's changed the way you do life? What has it been? Think about that for a second. And what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about uh, this miracle, this miracle that happens in Scripture that is an absolute disruption. In fact, I think this miracle is such a big disruption that I will arguably say that it was a bigger disruption at its time than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, it is that big and it did that much to change the way we view Christianity. And this is called the miracle of Pentecost. How many people know what Pentecost is? A few. You know, I didn't know what it really was until I became a pastor. I don't know. Is that sad? I don't know. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about the miracle of Pentecost. We're in our Imagine series, right? And so we've been saying, imagine what can happen if you imagine this miracle happening. So imagine what can happen when you imagine Pentecost happening. How will your life change? How will the life of our church change if we can imagine Pentecost happening? So let's read about Pentecost. This is what it says. Uh, and you can follow along on your phone. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each, uh, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Okay, let's break this apart. Let's talk about it. Uh, at the time that this Pentecost happened, the people who followed Jesus Christ were only about, mm, you know, a couple hundred, three hundred, maybe like the size of our church. Like that was it. And they called themselves by one of two names, either the Way or Messianic Jews. Now, they weren't a religion yet. In fact, most people saw them as more of like a cult, 
okay? That's what they looked like. In fact, what they did was they did all the things Jesus said they were going to do. They divided families. They left their mother and father. And they all came and they lived together, right? They lived together. They shared possessions. Uh, that's the kind of stuff they did. And so it looked more like wild, wild country. Anybody watch that? Than it did Christianity, okay? That's what it looked like. It was cultish. And so at best, they were considered weirdos, okay? At worst, they were uh, an issue with the Roman government. And the Roman government wanted to uh, do something about them. But... They were still culturally Jewish. And so being culturally Jewish, you would show up at the festival of Shavuot. The festival of Shavuot happened at, in Jerusalem, and it was a time where you celebrated the fact that God gave Moses the commandments or the law. All right, That's what happened. Uh, and so everybody shows up at, in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, why do you show up at Jerusalem at the temple? Why do you do that? Because the temple is where God is. All right. Now, I should have made a diagram for you, but I didn't. So I want you to picture this. Um, I want you to picture the holiest of holies uh, right in the middle of the temple. And this was the place where God resided. This was the place that only the high priest could get to. And then, then what I want you to picture are a bunch of like squares kind of moving out from that holiest of holies. And in the first set of squares, like, you know, only the most important men were allowed in. And then after that, it was the most important men or women. And then after that was the lower class of men and the lower class of women until you're outside of the temple, right? Until you're outside and you're not allowed in any longer because of something or someone, all right? Can we imagine this? Do we see this? Okay, this is where they were. This is where they're speaking different languages. And this is where this miracle takes place. And they're like, what do we do about it? They're all there. And uh, most scholars will say it was about 70 different nations, which, come on, like New York, we have like, what, 130 or whatever, 180? How many different? I don't, I don't, yeah, anyway, they tried. They tried. But anyway, yeah, that's how many there were. So about 70 different languages being spoken. Okay. And so what do you do with this? What happens? Well, people are freaked out. They don't know what to do with it. In fact, this is what it says. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. I love that. They're drunk. Leave them be. And then Peter stands up, right? And Peter raises his voice and he addresses the crowd and he says, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. These people are not drunk, for it is only nine in the morning. <laughs> oh, Thanks be to God, right? <laughs> no, this, uh, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so then he, pro he says, this is, the prophecy has come to pass. Like, this is it. And, and so I'll read parts of it. It says, in the last day, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And then, uh, and then Peter goes on to use a lot of disruptive language. Like sort of turning the tides on everything. Like the, the sun will become dark and the moon will become blood red and, and there will be smoke. So language that's meant to sort of disorient or confuse or dizzy you or make you change that framework, the way you view the world, the way you operate, what you see as right and wrong. That's what the kind of language that's being used here. Okay? And then at the end, this is the kicker. This is the disruption or the biggest disruption. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So do we see what Peter did? He said, this prophecy has come to pass. Not only will men prophesy, but women were going to do it too. Women are going to teach. Can you imagine that? Women teaching? Oh my gosh, here we are 2,000 years later, but I digress. Um, that's what he says. And then he says, and not only that, but your servants are going to prophesy and they're going to teach, which now erases classism, right? And then he says, and, and furthermore, let me just get to the point. Anybody, Jewish, non-Jewish, your enemy, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, 
will be saved. That means anybody can have this Holy Spirit. So now let's think about they're at the temple, right? And then the temple has the little squares where you can get in. People are going, wait a second, but the temple says we, and Peter says, anybody. But, but we're not allowed to, anybody. What Peter's doing here with this prophecy, with this miracle, what the Spirit is doing, I should say, is abolishing any exclusivity. We are abolishing Anything that says there is an in or out, what the Holy Spirit is doing with this miracle is saying that our God is radically inclusive, radically loving, that all are in this temple, that all are welcomed in, that there is nobody on the outside, and that that's been the case the whole time. And so you can see people, when this happens, um, like legitimately, you just have to imagine it, people like gasp, people like, oh, and like a monocle falls out of somebody's eye, right? Like that's what happens. Like it was that big of a deal. It was huge. It was like, it was like what, you're speaking heresy. And in fact, it felt like such heresy that we have record of Paul, the Apostle Paul, saying that Peter found this message so inclusive and so radical that even Peter started going, well, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not true. But for that point, it doesn't matter, Right? For this point, the Spirit is upon him, and he's going, everybody's in. Everybody's included. This is the radical, inclusive love of God, and this is how it happens. And so people go, what should we do? And this is what happens. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far, and all and for all who are far off and for all on whom the Lord our God will call. Repent and be baptized. Who's heard this before? Repent and be baptized. Just a few of you. Oh my gosh, we have ruined it, haven't we? <laughs> repent and be baptized. What happens here is repent and be baptized is the most inclusive, loving thing that Peter says in this whole conversation. The most inclusive, celebratory, loving thing. And we have turned it into, you're a sinner and you are far from God. You better repent and be baptized because otherwise there's going to be trouble for you. That's what we've turned it into. We've made it exclusive. It's super inclusive. Why is it super inclusive? Baptism was not foreign to follow to, to Jewish people. In fact, they were baptized often. It was called the mikvah. We've talked about the mikvah before. Uh, the mikvah is you like a little bathtub, that, not a bathtub, but a pool that would sit outside of the temple, and you would do a ritual cleansing. And you would be ritually cleansed in this, in this mikvah, in this pool. And then at that point, you were able to go into the temple and commune with God at your, whatever level you were at, right? And so people were being mikvahed all the time. But the problem was not everyone could be mikvahed. There are laws around being mikvahed. For some reason in Leviticus, they talk about nocturnal emissions and menstruation as things that just shouldn't happen in life, and that's the weirdest thing. But you weren't allowed to be mikvahed if that was the case. Okay? You couldn't be mikvahed. And then there are all these other rules. Deuteronomy says, and I'll, I'll, I'll read it for you. Anybody who had been emasculated or crushed by cutting cannot be mikvahed. No, no one born of forbidden marriage or their descendants can be mikvahed, not even the 10th generation. No Ammonite or Moabite. And then the list goes on. These people cannot be baptized. You're not allowed in the temple. You can't be mikvahed. Now contrast that with what Peter says. He says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Peter is a heretic. This is what the Spirit's doing. This is what Pentecost is doing. It's saying this is a radically inclusive message. Now, does anybody know what the word repent means? Anybody? Change your mind. That's all it means. Change your mind. Hey, change your mind about who's in and who's out. 
Change your mind about, about who has access and who doesn't. Change your mind. And then guess what? You've been told you can't be mikvah, be baptized. Everybody gets baptized. We all do because we all get the spirit. This is a radically inclusive message. This is God's love. This is the whole, you know, God, uh, God is saying, you know what? I've never been far off. I've loved you the whole time. And the people, the way, these Messianic Jews, they get it because they see Jesus as, a, as, a, as me, incarnate, coming to show you that I've never been far off. I walk with you. I am with you. And I love and include everyone regardless of who you are. That is the disruption. We hate disruption. We hate it. Um, there's been a bunch of studies done. And in these studies, uh, probably the most popular uh, communication of these studies was the Malcolm Gladwell tipping point. Anybody read this book? Okay. Uh, about 3% of people, about 3% of our population are okay being disrupted. About 3% of us, we will, we're pioneers. We will go off and change our worldview and our mindsets and our framework. We're okay with it. We don't have an issue. And then, there are about 13% of us that see the first 3%, and we look at them and we're like, they're alive, they seem to be okay, I'm going to join them. And those are our early adopters. Any early adopters here? Any people who consider them? Thank you. I like, oh yeah, honesty, I appreciate it. Yeah, early adopters, yeah. And uh, the early adopters are the ones that say, okay, everything's good with our, with, we want to be disrupted too, so we're going to be disrupted. And then we have our 34%. And the 34%, I'm guessing, are most of us in this room because we're sort of like, yeah, you know, I'm hip to the game, which is what the kids say these days, <laughs> and, <laughs> even though they don't. And, and, and we're like, I, I see what those 16% are doing. I, I think I'm going to follow along with that. Um, I would say, I remember so well, my friend in 2001, he had this little thing attached to headphones, and I was like, what's this? And he's like, it's an MP3 player, man, and it holds like 200 songs. And I was like, nah, man, give me my CD Walkman, right? But then... When the iPod came out, I was like, oh, I want to be, be in on this. I want to be one of the first people to get an iPad. So, so I, I wasn't one of the first 16%, but you know, we were on that 34%. And then, then you got your 50%. 50% of us do not want to be disrupted. We don't want to have to change our lives. We don't want to have to change the way we think. We don't want to have to change the way we operate. We're happy going to Target on a Sunday to buy sink strainers. That's an okay thing for us. And the same is true with our religion. We are happy to keep exclusivity as part of our culture, as part of our religion. We're happy to keep ex exclusivity and, and separation between us and God as part of what our tradition encapsulates because we don't want to mess with it. We don't want to change it. And so we say things like, oh my gosh, Pentecost is amazing. God is love, except love the sinner, hate the sin. So you have to fix a few things before you're actually welcomed into this. Oh my gosh, God is love. I love it. But speak the truth. Because the truth says God really doesn't love you until you do this. And then you can come in. And what's so disruptive and so amazing about this is that this Pentecost tells us that when the Spirit is upon you, when the Spirit comes, if this is a living and breathing thing that's still happening, that we believe, which I think we have some semblance of belief being here, then it says, no, there is no more exclusivity. There is no more line. Everybody is loved. I don't care what your orientation is. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care what your status is. Go down that list. Everyone's included. Let's all repent. Let's change our minds about who's not. That is disruptive, and that is amazing, and that's what I want our church to be. I want us to be a really disruptive church. Let's do it. Let's be disruptive. Let's continue to call out inclusivity. Let's continue to call out the radical love that this miracle shows us, that the miracle of Pentecost shows us. Let's do it. 
Let's continue to accept everyone. And not just accept, oh, hey, you're welcome here. Let's include everybody. I don't care what your, what your orientation, gender, whatever it might be is. You're not only included, you are affirmed. You have full you know, responsibility to be here and right to be here. And that's an amazing thing because we are all included. Right? We're all included. I think about justice issues. And I think about the times that people say, well, your church is just too political. Why are they? No, we're doing justice issues because there are people who are not included. There are people who are not being told their love. There are people who, who are being told that they're on the outside. And justice issues says, no, we're all on the inside. Pentecost shows us that. Let's be disruptive. Let's repent. Let's change our mind about who's on the outside and who's in. Well, but they broke the law. Great, they broke the law. They're on the inside. Let's invite them in. New York City Interfaith Alliance uh, asked a bunch of churches in this city to talk about mental health today, and absolutely I'm going to talk about it. And I talk about it a lot from the stage. I suffer with depression and anxiety. Everybody knows this. Well, welcome if it's your first time. I have depression and anxiety. <laughs> um, and I, I think when we're a disruptive church, I think what that means is we're taking away the stigma and taboo that surrounds mental health. And I think we say as a church, everyone's included, especially those who have mental health challenges, especially those that are dealing with issues that, that we feel ashamed of or we're sad about or, or people tell us we can't talk about. And the thing is, we get to talk about that. We are included. Imagine a church that is so disruptive that those of us uh, with mental health issues and challenges, we don't feel stigma, we don't feel shame, we don't feel taboo. We feel like a child of God. Imagine that. Let's be that church. As an inclusive church, as a disruptive church, I want us to look for all the ways we see people who are still living within the walls, and people who are still living in such a way that they're told that they're on the outside or they're separate from God, and let's stop with that lie and tell people over and over and over again, you are loved, you are good, and the infinite, imaginable, and infinite unimaginable God did not send Jesus because he was angry and needed to kill something in order for you to be seen as good, but so that you would change your mind about the fact that you have always been good and always been loved. That's what a disruptive church does. I want us to be that church. Can we be that church? Can we do it? And if we can do it, then I'm going to ask two things. We're in the middle of a giving campaign. I'm going to ask that you give. That's number one. You can fill out a pledge card. You can give in the back. Those are two things you can absolutely do right now. Be the disruptive church. Be it with us. Allow us to continue to have that voice in this community, in this city, and nationally. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to, to commit today to being disruptive. How are you going to be disruptive today? What are you going to do? Maybe you pray. Prayer is underrated. Maybe we pray for enemies or people who, are, who we've been told are on the outside or people who think that we're on the outside or whoever. Maybe that's something we do. I would ask you to be disruptive by praying for those people today. Maybe there's a conversation that you need to have with someone who just does not agree with you and has trouble with you, and you say, you know what? I absolutely love you, and I forgive you, and I do that because I believe that you are on the inside with me. You're not over there. You're not somebody else. You're not limited. You're with me. Maybe as parents, we start to tell our kids about what inclusivity looks like and the radical disruption that is Pentecost and ask them to start living that out in their own lives. Whatever it might be, how are you going to be disruptive? I want you to take this, this post note, this uh, post note that you have on your chair. I want you to write something down. And when you come up for communion, I want you to write it down. How are you going to be a part of the disruptive church? And here's the deal. Here's what this miracle does. 
This is what this miracle does. When this miracle happens and people change their minds and they repent and they are baptized, this is what it says next. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And I pray that this is the miracle that happens in our church. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, Heavenly God, give us the courage to be disruptive. Give us the courage to live out this inclusivity. Give us the courage to be the church that, that, that has the, the spirit upon them, the voice the language that can tell everybody that they've always been infinitely and unimaginably loved. And Lord, when we do have our limitations and we do have our difficulties and everything else, we thank you for the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the love that comes always. We pray this in your name. Amen.